the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Reaching Hearts Ministries. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is the conclusion to The Sin Solution. You can find this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com. We encourage you to go ahead and download a copy if you would like, but you can also listen online right there on the website. That's reachingyourheart.com. Our phone number here is 877-788-5371, 877-788-5371. Let's get underway with the conclusion to The Sin Solution. Here is Pastor Mike. The suffering Savior as the sin substitute must face more than the secret garden of our guilt to save us. In the awful plan of God for him, he must also carry the public cross of our accountability. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus. And that's the best thing you can do in life, friend. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? What does it say? He endured the cross. He didn't like that cross. He hated it. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Romans ten eleven. the scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. The one who bore your shame, friend, publicly is the one who can take it away privately and personally. There is no reason to stand before God in shame. I don't care how awful your life has been. I think you know there is at some point in your life an awful sin you want no one to know about. Or maybe something happened to you that you're utterly ashamed about that you had no control over. Friend, God is not ashamed to embrace you in Jesus. But without Jesus, you go straight to the judgment day with none of the benefits that God can give you. Why? Because God has destined That your future and your hope is rooted in one man. His eternal son who is perfect and blameless. Not just as your substitute, but as one who entered into your experience to take your life at a level far deeper than empathy can know. So that it can be said he became you in the Garden of Gethsemane all the way to the cross. Romans 10, 11, the scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. How many of you believe in the Lord Jesus? Raise your hand. Now, belief in the Lord Jesus is not a kind of thing where it's just like, well, I believe, and then you don't really believe. You know what I mean? I believe, but you don't really believe. Really believing in the Lord Jesus means putting your full confidence in Him. And that means obedience flows out of that, correct? Now, this is not legalistic obedience, but it's obedience from the heart. That means what the Lord Jesus has done for you affects your heart and your life. It makes a difference in how you live. But you are accepted at the beginning of the journey, not at the outcome of the journey. 
medieval theology taught that a person is accepted once they have been sanctified enough, then they get justified. That is not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ when we have Christ from the first moment we have Him by faith. And that is the only way to get through life's journey in such a way as this. The one who bore your shame publicly is the one who can take it away privately and personally. Christ was dying in the Garden of Gethsemane. No doubt about it. His vital systems were shutting down. Blood was being forced from the pores of his skin. Luke records that clots of blood fell to the ground. Thromboy in the Greek. Heaven intervened, Luke records. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. For Mount Calvary lay before him. And Jesus must journey to the place of the skull. We have a good idea who this angel is. In the book of Daniel... Daniel chapter 11, that angel says, there's no one who stands with him in these matters except Michael, your prince. And then he goes on to say, I stood up to be a strength and encouragement for him. And the him in the context is most likely Michael. There is one being who has supported him. And the evidence of the book of Daniel is that is Gabriel. God sent this mighty man of God, the mightiest angel he has, And Gabriel came there into the Garden of Gethsemane. And as Jesus' life force was sucked out of him, that mighty angel took all the energy he had. Let me illustrate this. Have you ever had a dead battery? Anyone here work with tools at the house? I had a dead DeWalt battery. You know the power drill? How do you get a battery to wake up when it's dead? I took two wires. I hooked one wire up to a battery that was charged, negative to negative, I took another wire. It has to be exactly the same battery, same company, or you get in trouble. You can't cross voltages. can't mess with amp differences. Then I took the positive from the battery that had the charge, and I stuck it on the one that had no charge, and I saw a spark. For 20 seconds, I did that. Then I took the battery, and I stuck it in the charger, and it was alive again. And that battery was able to charge. I recovered a DeWalt battery. Those things cost a lot of money. I recovered a DeWalt battery by letting the power from one battery be infused into another battery. Do you realize what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? Christ was out of battery power. His will was fixed on God to die for our sins. But His human nature could not sustain what was happening. He was dying. He had to be supernaturally sustained to bear what we are talking about. And when that angel came down... Gabriel took the positive and the negative lines and he put his full battery power into Jesus. And when he was done, that angel had nothing left to give. It was enough to get him through to suffer at an inhuman level so that Jesus could die for our sins and give us life. Heaven was invested in that event. The second death lay before Jesus and Jesus must drink it to the dregs to save you and your family from it. Rising from the ground with blood and sweat dripping from his brow. Jesus' eyes caught the form of his betrayer walking in the cloak of the morning dew. Seizing his master, Judas kissed him with a betrayer's kiss. So what is heaven's response to our betrayal of him? How does heaven respond to that? Look at Jesus. How does Jesus treat his betrayer that night? A fist in the face for Judas. A lightning bolt hurled from highest heaven. Is that it? A sharp word to slice his self-esteem to shreds. Is that what the Son of God came for? Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 26, 50. Let's take a look at it. Here we find the answer we did not expect. The Bible says, Jesus said to him, Friend, what are you doing here? Do you see that in your Bible? 
What an answer. He says the same thing today when his people bow down to other gods on the silver screen or in places he cannot go and bless. He says, friend, what are you doing there? Are you my friend, Judas, or just one who kisses me in the night to get what you want? As I bear your guilt in the secret garden, why have you come here to carry it away from me to the judgment day to bear it yourself all alone? Friend, why are you here? Jesus is asking the same question today. Friend, why are you here? Did you come here to just get stuff from God and move on with your life or to find the one who can change your life? If God could look his betrayer into the eye, if he could look Judas right in the eye and say, Judas, friend, what are you doing here? He can look you in the eye, no matter what you've gone through. He say, friend, I want you here. I want you with me. No sin is so big that God cannot forgive it. Sometimes we think that that's soft on sin if we say that. Now, I don't believe in being soft on sin. You know why? Because it put Jesus on the cross. Let's not be soft on sin, the church. But friend, is God able to forgive you? Have you asked yourself that question? Yes or no? Have you ever felt like he isn't? How many of you could raise your hand there? Okay, I have. Our feelings are not the issue here. The gospel teaches that God is not only able, God did forgive us in Jesus. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. You can't reconcile unless you're forgiving in that act of reconciliation. God cares immensely about you. Led by Judas, the mob of soldiers appeared and Christ was born straightway to one illegal mockery of a trial to another. From Pilate to Herod and back to Pilate, scourged, spat upon, maligned, from insult to renewed insult, he slowly bore our cross of accountability to Mount Calvary. In the clang and clatter of the night, Jesus longed for a friend. He asked Judas if he would be a friend. But Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. And you and I, we crucified him. We were there that night. And as Jesus climbed the path of execution, he moved between two walls of humanity. Between those who believe and those who don't. Between those who care for him and those who would care not at all for what he has done. Between those who die to self and those who will live for themselves until they die for good. Which crowd are you in today? Which crowd are we all in? You must ask that question. It is the universal question. And so this question confronts everyone here today that demands an answer today, not tomorrow. Why did he have to go and why did he have to pay the price to be the sin solution? The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is what? You know the verse. The wages of sin is death. It's very clear. No confusion here. Paul's not talking about a temporary death. He's talking about a death from which there is no mourning. A death from which there is no hope of resurrection. It's the kind of death that ends it for you. That's what sin brings. I've been in the hospital. I've seen cancer victims struggling and succumb to death and disease. I've seen people succumb to emotional disease. And friend, it's awful, the world we live in. You realize Jesus has been in every hospital room. He's been in every ward. He cares about the suffering of those who are sick, no matter where they're at or what they're going through. But Jesus died a death more horrible than any human being can die. I know people who have died physical deaths more traumatic than crucifixion. I don't want to speak about it here, but horrible deaths. You can stand by the side of a father or friend dying of cancer as the sickness lingers for days and weeks, and you may know what I mean. 
Friends, if physical death is the issue, I'm sorry, Jesus got off the hook a little easier than some. The Bible teaches in Hebrews 2.9 that Jesus tasted death for every person. He didn't just die His death that day. He didn't deserve to die. He died everyone's death at one time. The Scripture says, but we do see Jesus. Hebrews 2.9 For a little while He was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. Now that can be taken two ways, and both are true. Number one, He tasted death in everyone's place. We call that a substitute. There are people today who teach that Jesus did not need to be your substitute. That's contrary to Scripture. Christ was your substitute. The death you deserve to die, He died in your place as your substitute. But number two, He tasted everyone's personal death that moves deeper than the principle of substitution it moves deeper than what we call empathy christ died because he entered into your mind and all that you are was in his heart and mind he retraced your life every thought and feeling of it and he died the outcome of what you deserve in the judgment day he did it for every human being who has ever lived from adam to the end What the devil will go through in the lake of fire is nothing compared to what Jesus went through for you and me. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew 27, 45 to 46. The Bible says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until when? The ninth hour. That is the very moment the Passover lamb was slain. Continue. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At the cross of Calvary, Jesus became the God-forsaken God. The Greek word used for darkness is skatos. It is the Greek word used in the New Testament. A very refined word for mental darkness. It is a psychological term. It has an impact in the arena of the mind. It means a darkness of mind and hope and inability to see into the future. It means the future is locked down and dark for you. Friend... On Calvary's cross, which is your cross and mine, Jesus could not see beyond death's door. Like a child lost at night, he cried out for his father in the darkness of the second death, Daddy, where are you? I need you. The night is dark and full of fright. Daddy, where are you? I'm hurting deep inside. I'm afraid of the dark, Daddy. It is an awesome darkness that surrounds me. Abba, Father, meaning Daddy, Father. There are monsters in the night, Daddy. Many monsters. Save me, Daddy. At that moment, in the darkness of the cross, Jesus becomes the God-forsaken God. As Jesus hung upon the splintered cross of Calvary, He was faced with an awful decision affecting the destiny of the universe of men and angels as everything was flowing through a human mind, racing through His mind the terrible question of every heart every life, every future. The terrible question of eternity. The question of heaven for us and hell for Him. The question of life for us and a certain death for Him. I can hear Him pleading with His Father in my imagination based on Scripture content. I am convinced this happened. What will happen to Mike, Father, if I come down from this cross? What will happen to Mike if I call it quits and go home? I want to go home, Daddy. Then a silence. 
You mean, Father, that for Mike to be with you, I must say goodbye forever? Is that what it takes to save Mike? Is it the second death, the darkness that I feel so profoundly now? Is that the payment for his sin, the darkness of eternal night? And the answer is yes. And here's what Jesus said. Then I will pay for it. Every bit of it. I will exhaust the depth of it all. I will pour out heaven's treasury to atone for it all. I will pay for it for Mike, for Sue, for Leslie and Tom, for Reginald. And the names go on from Adam to the end. For those who will be saved and those who will not be saved. Let me die the death of the wicked. Let my death become theirs. And let my life become theirs forever. Take all of the eternal life I had with you and pour it into those that I am dying for. And as Jesus plunged into the pit of my eternal night and yours, He cried, Goodbye, Father. Let Mike take my place. It is finished. There was nothing left to pay. We will be studying in eternity what transpired in those few short hours because it cannot be understood by theologians. It cannot be grasped by psychologists. It cannot fit into a framework of biology. What is going on there is beyond belief. Goodbye, Father, the divine exchange. That's how I see it. I believe the Scripture supports what I just said. Friend, our salvation is rooted in a father's grief and a son's tragedy. When God made the covenant to Abraham, he passed between the parts of a bullock that was cut in two because this was the ancient treaty form of the suzerain treaty of the ancient world that when you cut an animal in two, it meant you would keep your end of the deal or you'd be cut in two. And so he passed between the pieces of the bullock that Abraham had cut in two. But the Bible is very clear. It was not just a smoking fire pot which represented God the Father. There was a flaming torch that was there that was with them. And together they passed between the parts. It was the Father and the Son holding hands, promising that they would pay the price to bring the promise to Abraham and his offspring. At the cross of Calvary, God did not spare his son as he spared Isaac. At the cross of Calvary, the two of them went through with the plan. You know, I don't know about you, but I know Jesus loves me. I know it. I know it because of the Bible. Because the Word of God contains the record of something no one could have written. As Jesus hung upon the splintered cross of Calvary, He was faced with that awful decision. And He made the right choice for us, but not for Him. As Jesus plunged into the pit of my eternal night and yours, He cried, And then he died. Friend, our salvation is rooted in a father's grief and a son's tragedy. Don't convince yourself that it's not. This notion that Jesus didn't have to die to be your blood substitute is far into Scripture. It's pagan philosophy that's come into the Christian faith. I don't care where it's taught. In our church or somewhere else, it's not the gospel. Our salvation is free. But it's not cheap. God could not change the moral fabric of His law that has made the universe. But deep within His law is the principle of mercy. It is the greatest principle of the law. And pardon comes before judgment in God's plan. Everyone can receive a pardon. 
so that they might not face the vigor of the judgment. Christ has faced that for you and in your place. For the Father and the Son, they paid the ultimate price. They became together the sin solution. Oklahoma has been hit by storms and storm chasers at the Weather Channel are no exception. How many of you saw that clip there on the news? Storm chasers, the tornado caught up with the people from the Weather Channel and it took their vehicles out. It's their job to chase the storm and film it so everyone can see it on TV. Well, they got the storm all right. They got as close as they could to the storm. Mike Bettis was chasing a fierce tornado near El Reno, Oklahoma, when the tornado picked up the SUV he was in and threw it 200 yards into a field. They were in it. There was fear in the storm, darkness and power. They tried to escape, but all three vehicles were hit by that storm with a single smack. He says it was like floating and tumbling. You know, like Dorothy going up to the land of Oz. He describes the fear of it in a single statement. It's really quite profound but simple. He said, my life flashed before my eyes. When Jesus died, friend, on the cross of Calvary for every one of us here, your life flashed before his eyes. All of it. He saw all of it. And he died for every single sin and sorrow in your life. He exhausted the penalty for sin for you. Jesus is the sin solution. If you want to get to heaven without him, you're not getting there. Did you hear me? You're not getting there. But the one who has the Son of God has life. Christ is the sin solution for your life. He entered the storm that sucked us away from God. And he crashed instead of us on Mount Calvary. What is Mount Calvary? That's the place where the Son of God was broken. He crashed. Whatever the devil would go through in the lake of fire was nothing compared to what Jesus went through in the cross of Calvary to save us. John three sixteen and 17 is the Magna Carta of the human race. Make it personal in your life. Hang on to your family's hand and hang on to God with this promise. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. That is the bottom line of our lives, cling to Jesus. There's probably someone here today who needs to take a stand for Jesus Christ. I'm going to come down right here. You just come right on up. If in your heart you know you need to surrender to the Lord Jesus and be baptized, or maybe you have fallen away from Him. I'm not talking about a general call here. You've fallen away from Him. You must reconnect. This call is for you as well. There are things in our church family's life that must be removed for you to be ready for the coming of the Lord. We all must do the introspection as necessary. But if God is speaking to you, you get up out of your seat and you come forward. Because we are not superstar Christians here. And there's no one in this place that can stand the judgment day based on how good they have been or how bad they have not been. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Christ of the cross formed within. I need that, Father. I have struggled with attitudes lately in my own life that need a renewal in Jesus. Father, in my life, I need the Spirit of God, to give me endurance, 
through anything, not have an attitude shift when the pressure level gets just at the right point. And Father, I don't think I'm alone here. And so I'm asking in the name of the Lord Jesus to forgive me of my sins, to forgive us of our sins as a church family. Lord, Reaching Hearts was formed to be a place that would plant churches around the world. Father, it was formed as a place for collegiate outreach, for radio evangelism. The one church that has not yet been planted in a place, it's been planted here in principle, is ours. And Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus to give me a right attitude with our neighbors to be. And I pray for this. I pray that you'll give us patience as a people. And Lord, those who have taken their stand here have made a decision to get the junk out of their house, to clean it out, make sure there's nothing there that angels couldn't observe. Father, that doesn't work in most of our churches in this culture because many places will say it's just fine to leave it there. Well, it's not. And Father, I pray for more than that. I pray that the activity that has been stolen from the church by these things, that families will devote themselves to service for God. Service. Not just Bible studies. I mean, there are things here, Lord. Our infrastructure here does, requires committed families. And Father, may those who are committed in heart serve God in heart and stay that way until Jesus comes. And so, Lord, I end this prayer by saying thank you. I pray, O oh Father God, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that we will be exactly what you have called us to be in Jesus. I believe it will be true. And so, Lord, hold us and thank you that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that will conclude the Sin Solution. Today's Reaching Your Heart. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area, make sure you stop by the worship service currently held at Cedar Ridge Community Church. You can find driving directions online or give us a call at 877-788-5371-877-788-5371. Reaching Your Heart needs your help to continue to bring you these messages here on this station. Thank you so much for considering that. The address here is Reaching Hearts International, 15300 Spencerville Court, Suite 201, Burtonsville, Maryland, 20866. 15300 Spencerville Court, Suite 201, Burtonsville, Maryland, 20866. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.